0: Thank Jesus for being willing to hang out with me. Proverbs chapter 3. Hallelujah. We begin reading in verse 1. You got it? Say so. so. It says this. It says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son... Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. God, we thank you so much for your truth that is before us today. And as we sit before this truth that is the light, I pray that you would pierce the darkness of our hearts. I pray that you would penetrate to the depth of our lives. And I pray that you would be glorified, Lord God, in the preaching of your word today. May you give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church. I pray, Lord God, that we would leave here edified, Lord God, and empowered by you to live righteously in the days in which we live. In Jesus' good name, someone said? Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Can we give the Lord another hand of praise for the drama, the youth ministry? We thank- I, want- I want to thank um, Sister Sonia. Who who um who had this inspiration and she shared it with us and thank Minister Juan for you know helping and all of the youth just give give these youth a hand I mean that was that was that was powerful um and I, and I and I really want to encourage you parents continue to pour into your children amen. Continue to pour into them. I mean, you you don't, you don't, if there's one thing that we have got to understand, and I'll share a a little bit more on this in a couple of weeks as as I continue through the book of Proverbs. But we have been given such a great opportunity with our sons and our daughters. They're called an inheritance from the Lord for a reason. And God wants to use our young men and women to impact not just this nation, but I believe the nations of the world. For the right reasons and that is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I only got three amens, but that's okay. At least three parents agree. So we'll move on and we'll continue on and and, and deal with our sermon today. Um, We're continuing on in our series Wisdom Cries Out. And as we deal with this Wisdom Cries Out series, it is my prayer that we will be resensitized to the wisdom that is always crying out for attention. That we would respond to Jesus, remember Jesus is the wisdom of God, and that we would reject the voices of folly that sound good, that are familiar, yet lead us in ways of unrighteousness and ultimately to destruction and death. That's the reason why I'm going through the book of Proverbs, because the book of Proverbs speaks to us on so many practical levels, showing us that wisdom is crying out in those practical places, as well as folly, and it's important for us as children of God, if you are a Christian, if you are born again, that you respond to the correct voice, that you don't respond to the voice of folly, because that voice may sound good, may be the easy way, or whatever the case is, but it is not going to lead you into the life that God desires for you and I to experience And when I say that, I don't mean a perfect life. I don't mean a trial-free life. I don't mean a life where there's no problems and and, and no issues. I mean a life that brings glory and honor to Jesus that's what the Christian life is about. I love what one preacher said. I wish I could tell you who it was, and I, but I, I don't remember who it was. I, I listened to a few different guys. He probably tweeted it somewhere. I, I, I heard him say it, but he said, God is not, does not have you here because he wants you to have a great marriage. God does not have you here because he wants you to make all of this money. God does not have you here because he wants you to have all these comforts and commodities in life. That's all good if you experience that, but the reason why God, God has you here is so that way you and I can do what? Reflect his image and be The glory bearers of Jesus It is about his glory It is so that way we can lead as many people Get this church, I need you to get this It is so that we can lead As many people as possible To the saving knowledge Of Jesus Christ Say this with me, say I am here here To be the vessel That leads as many people As as possible possible. To the the saving knowledge Of Jesus Christ Listen, I want you to get that down deep in your spirit, down deep in your heart because that is the reason why God has saved you and he has saved me. It is so that way we can truly, that's what it means to be the salt. That's what it means to be the light. And listen, am I saying that? Everybody's going to be broke, busted, and disgusted. We're going to be like the drunk, you know? You remember the drama, right? He was laying down here. He was on the street. Is that that what I'm saying that everybody's going to be like? No, that is not what I'm saying that everybody's going to be like. But what I want you to understand is that no matter what your life is like in the natural sense, there is one main objective for your life and my life, and that is to bring glory to Jesus and to lead people to Him. Amen? Amen. Today, we're going to look at this topic. It is um, dealing with trusting and honoring the Lord, and we have a lot of scriptures that we will go over. One of the most difficult things I will say to do for us is to fully, say fully, fully, fully respond to the wisdom of God without question. Now, we can respond to parts of God's wisdom many times. But when I'm talking about fully responding to God, that that, that becomes a little bit more difficult. It is where it is a total abandon of self to where you say, God, I want to see your glory. God, I want to see your will. It is not easy to do that. The title of the message this morning, and I think it fit well with the drama, it is entitled Lean on Me. Jesus is inviting us not to lean on ourselves, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but to lean on him. To depend on Him. To trust in Him. In not some areas, but all areas. A key aspect, we talked about this um, two weeks ago. A key aspect to us trusting and honoring the Lord is a healthy fear of the Lord. Say healthy fear of the Lord. Yeah. A healthy fear of the Lord leads us to Jesus, not from Him. But it leads us to Him leaving something behind. Are you only saying nothing? It leads us to him understanding I don't just come to him like he's my boy or he's my dog. No. He's not your boy. He ain't hanging out with you like that. No, sorry. I, I don't care what you heard. Jesus is holy. That's right. And when you come into his presence, you are not coming into just anyone's presence. You are coming into the presence of the king of glory. Listen, if you don't believe me. Read the book of Revelation and see how they act in his presence. See how many people are talking about, yo, what's up, dog? Ain't nobody doing that in heaven. Ain't nobody doing that in the presence of God. Nobody in their right mind would walk up to the one who resurrected after being beaten the way that he was and is seated in the throne of glory and be like, yo, it it, it, it ain't like that. It is not like that. And so we reverence him. And so what happens is we understand I'm coming into his presence. You know, think about it like this. When you were growing up, I, I think I shared this story with you, and I, I'll use this one if maybe I haven't used it in a long time. But as I was growing up, you know, my, my mom was not Christian. My mother was the one who inevitably led me to Jesus, but she was not a Christian for most of my growing up. She, she probably gave her life to Christ around the time that I was 17 years old. And, you know, my mother, she smoked cigarettes and did other things and all that kind of stuff. Well, when I started to get rebellious... It was so funny because I was Mr. Hardcore, you know, gang banging. I would go out there and do all this kind of stuff. And let me tell you something: my, we, in, in, in our, in the way that our house was, we had this car, carport, and I used to live in the efficiency in the back because I was such a rebel. In other words, I got kicked out, and my mama was nice, so I couldn't go in the main house. I had to be in the, in the back there, where you know, only had cold water. My, anyway, that was, that's that's another story. But I would come, and, and when you would walk from where I would stay, like let's say this was the, this little corner there, you would come around here, like right here was the kitchen door, right? And my mom, obviously in the kitchen, she used to be cooking around a certain, a certain time. Now, Mr. Bad Boy, right? Here's what would happen I would come around this corner, and if I had a cigarette in my hand, and I was coming up to that door, even though my mom smoked cigarettes and all that, guess what I would do? I was hiding that cigarette from my mom. Why? Because even though she did those things, I had respect for her. I didn't just jump up and, you know, and act like I had a right to be anything. No, that is what, when, when we talk about that, the fear of the Lord, it is that to the umph to be, Because you know what? God ain't smoking cigarettes. Hello, somebody. He's not not over there doing sin. He's not doing anything like that. He's holy and righteous. And so when we talk about fear of God, that's what I'm talking about. And when we have a fear of the Lord, a proper fear of God, then what happens is we do what? We will begin to trust him with everything. And so what does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? It means to be overwhelmed by the reality of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, where Jesus is seated, what Jesus will do, and what he is doing in my life. That's what it means to have a fear of God is to understand who he is. And it is out of the fear of the Lord that we will fully trust and honor the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now listen, I'm about to say something that I think you should tweet. I have a few tweeting moments today. Glory to God! And this, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you know when they're coming up. I'm messing with y'all. Uh, I'm gonna let you know. I'm gonna let you know when they're coming up because I think that you should be tweeting all over the place. Tiffany, she texted me the other day. I thought this was this was pretty awesome. I love stuff like this, really, because um, it makes me laugh. But, said, so Bishop, I'm so upset because you know I hear people talking about you bad on Facebook, and I'm like, oh well, praise the Lord. I I don't really know these people. And she's like, and they don't even really know you, and they're talking about you like that. And I'm like, listen, sister. I said, I'm in good company. They talk bad about Jesus too. Hello, somebody. I don't let them talk, glory to God. So what I'm saying is, can you talk good about me? Praise the Lord. Just tweet some good stuff. Be like, quote, Bishop Jason Quinones, right? Say some good stuff. If you think it's good. I'm going to just say that I think, when I was writing, I was like, man, that's some tweetable stuff right there. That was my thoughts when I was writing this stuff down. So I'm going to share it with you. You do what you want. You don't tweet it now, though. Because then you, you start getting, you know, text messages. You'll be, you'll be distracted, glory to God. Write it down. Go home and be like, man, that was an awesome service today. Listen to these tweets, glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, y'all, 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 y'all got to laugh a little bit. Listen to this. God asks us for our unconditional trust because he offers us uncontested grace. See, that's tweetable. See, that, that's some good stuff, right? I was like, God, that is amazing. And I, I didn't get it from no one. It was just Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit. I was like, wow. God asks us for our unconditional trust because he offers us his uncontested grace. Lean on me is what he's saying. He, his grace is uncontested. There is not one person who has been able to not be delivered from sin in the presence of Jesus. There is no person that has come to the cross and put their sin at his feet. Oh, y'all ain't with me. There is no one who has brought their baggage to him to where he couldn't deal with it. It's uncontested. You looked at all of these stories and everything that was going on here. You had, you know, a girl who was bawling, weeping, brokenhearted. And Jesus came and did what? Took her tears. You have a person without an arm. I mean, even in that situation, it's not to say that every person without an arm is going to end up with an arm. But the bottom line is, he does stuff like that. The drunken guy, hey man, get up, man. You're going, You going. know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you life. Every situation. These are examples, right, of what Jesus can do. Uncontested grace. And he says, Look, this is what he says to us. He says, If you can find someone who put their trust in me and it didn't work out for them, don't trust me. You know what the fact is? You will never find anyone who put their trust in Jesus that it didn't work out for them. You may find people who put their trust in Jesus and it didn't work out the way they thought it was going to work out. Well, y'all see, there's a difference. There is a difference. There are some people who put their trust in Jesus, thought he was going to do it this way. He didn't do it that way. He did it this way. As we were praying this morning, we were giving thanks to God. I said, Lord, we thank you for the yeses that you said. The problem with us is that we don't understand that no is also an answer. It's amazing because us raising our children, we try to teach our children. That's the first word they know how to spell. N-O. And it amazes me because when you think about that, we have... We, we, I guarantee you, your mama and my mama were telling us, do you not understand the word no, N-O. So what is that? But we don't get that from God. It's like God has to say yes to us to everything. Why? Y'all ain't with me. Y'all, 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 all 'all, all right, I'll be by myself, glory to God. He answers us, but you will find no one, no one who put their trust in God where his grace was defeated. Where his grace was not able to work out in their situation. First thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. We must determine where we will put our trust. If we're going to lean on something, we need to determine where we're going to put our trust. Look at chapter 3. And I want you to notice a few things. I'm going to read through this, and, I, and I'll touch on these really quickly, and we'll get to verse 5 through 8. But verse 1 says this, as a father is speaking to a son, my son, do not forget my law. And he's not talking about just his rules of the house. He's talking about the laws of God being spoken into his life. He says this, but let your heart, say your heart. Your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. He says this, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Say, bind them around your neck. And say this with me, write them, write them. On, the on the tablet of your heart. And so you see, God says this He says, on the outer, we need to express. We need to obey. We need to follow the commands of God. But it is not enough to be religious and obey what God says and do what he says. But we must have it written in our hearts. It has to be something that is part of us in order for it to produce the fruit that God wants to produce. Because if it is not part of our heart, if it is not something that is written upon our hearts, guess what? In the face of difficulty, we will veer and go in the wrong direction. Because it's not in our hearts. And so we'll turn in other ways because we'll try to figure out. It's like the situation when you come to God and you ask him for something and he says no. What do you do? Do you continue to trust him because his laws are in your heart? Or do you say, well, I got to figure something else out because this ain't working. I'm just saying. People do it all the time. Come to Jesus to fix something. He doesn't fix it the way they want it or in the time. You know how many people? I'm going to say this. You know how many people walk away from God bringing healing to a situation prematurely? You know, you know, you know how many people? I, I can tell you this from prayer myself, being in prayer and God showing me a person, dude. Like, man, you are right there on the brink of this breakthrough. You are right there. And, and listen, because I love the person, I tell them, don't give up. Continue on. His grace is sufficient." You know what? They get tired of hearing his grace is sufficient. And you know what they do? They stop. They end up in worse situations. Why? Because they didn't want to trust him fully. They didn't want to walk this thing out. So the first thing we got to figure out is, are these things in our heart? He goes on to say this, and so find favor in verse 4, in, the, in, in high esteem in the sight of God and man. I love that verse because it says, and so find, say so find. When you find something, that means that that thing was there already. Think about that. It isn't that you're creating favor. It isn't that you are earning favor. It is you are finding something that's already there. You are fi- it's, it's, it's already there. You know where it's locked up in? It's locked up in where? The laws of God. It's locked up in the grace of God. It's locked up in the truth of God. And as we walk in that truth, you know what we find? Favor with God and favor with man. What I love about this verse more than anything is that it puts things in the right perspective. The place that we need to find favor is with God first and above all else. Hello, somebody. It is with God. Sometimes we try to find favor with man, not seeking the favor of God. And we end up compromising for what? Because we want their favor, we forgot about his favor. This is the truth of what we do in many situations. And so... We must determine where it is we're going to put our trust. Look at verses 5 through 8 with me. Verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He didn't say, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. He didn't say, Trust in the Lord with 98% of your heart, 99.9%. He said, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, all of your being, all of your strength, all of your faith. Trust in Him with everything. Why? Because His grace is uncontested. Because he hasn't failed yet. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not. Say, lean not. not. On your own understanding. In all your ways. Say, in all your ways. ways. Not in some of your ways. See, here we go. I love those all words. Uh In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And so, as we consider where to place our trust, it is important that we think about what warrants our trust. Here's another tweetable moment Security is greatest when the securer is the strongest. Security is greatest when the securer is the strongest. How many of y'all seen that movie Taken? Right? How many of y'all saw it taken too? I saw it last night. Let me tell you something. Every dad on planet Earth wishes that he was as bad as that dad. Straight up, I, I ain't going to lie to you. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a relatively strong guy. I can lift some weights, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. But I can tell you what. God forbid my daughter got taken in some other country. I, I, what would I do? I'm, I'd be on the phone and be like, listen, I have a skill set, and I will find you, and I will kill you. Be like, bro, if you're standing in front of me, I'm going to break your neck. But at this point, can I get ahead? Give me, give me some help. You know, it. The point is, I mean, seriously. Like, like every man is like, yes. And we're crying like, man, God, don't ever let that happen to my daughter. Because I, I would be like crying. Like, oh, God. I mean, what what could I do? I, I mean, really, I'm not. Anyway, some of y'all might be better than me. But I just know this. Security. I mean, it. it, it it's, it's, it's the strongest when the secure is the strongest. And so that girl knew what? She knew after, after the situation, because in the beginning, you know, she was crazy. She didn't want to trust her dad, right? And afterwards, she was like, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's until part two. And part two, anyway, we're, yeah, for those of you who haven't seen it. Because, you know, the, we forget stuff. That's the only thing I'll tell you. We forget stuff. We forget where our security is. We start trusting other things. We start doing what these scriptures say. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures because we're not going to have time to go through all of them for this particular point. Look, uh, um, don't turn there, but um, Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to say them slow for those of you that are writing and taking notes because you can look these up on your own. Proverbs 16, 1 through 4. Proverbs 16 and verse 9. Proverbs 16 and verse 33. Proverbs 19 and verse 21. Proverbs 20 and verse 12. Proverbs 20 and verse 24. Proverbs 20 and verse 27. Proverbs 21 and verse 2. Proverbs 22 and verse 2. And Proverbs 30 verses 5 through 6. Every one of these scriptures shows us something. When you look at all of these scriptures together, it teaches us something about God. It teaches us that we have plans in our heart, but it's ultimately His plans that are going to come to pass. It tells them that we have meditations and we think about stuff and all that, but God is the one who ultimately brings His purposes to pass. When we're looking at this scripture here... In chapter 3, I want you to realize something in verse 5. It says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. We established that. And it says, and lean not on your own understanding. Say that with me. And lean not on your own understanding. Lean Can I tell you something as I was thinking about this? It is physically impossible to lean on yourself. Do you know that? Stand up. Stand up. Everybody stand up right now. Right now, stand up. Everyone, everyone stand up. Now, come on. I, I, I want to prove this to you, right? Come on. It's a good time to stretch. Glory to God. Right? Now lean on yourself. Come on, can, can, can you lean on yourself? Just like, you know, just like chill, right? You, you, you can't do it. You can, now, now lean on your neighbor. Right? Lean on the wall next to you. Right? Listen. Listen. It is impossible. It is impossible, physically impossible for you to lean upon yourself. You get that. You can be seated. Let me tell you something else. For anyone who's ever been in an earthquake, I've never been in an earthquake. But I would tell you this. You also realize you, you cannot even stand and balance if the ground under you ain't right. And so in reality, it's based on something that is stable that is able to keep you standing. You can't even. Look, you, you could be the most agile person the ground starts moving. I don't know. Some of y'all probably saw this on YouTube. It was um this, this, this new um, computer thing. And and, and, they, and what they do is they take this, this screen, this computer screen, and they put it in, a, in, a, in an elevator. I was going to get the video, but I totally forgot. They put it in this elevator. And what they do is they make it the floor of the elevator. So when people walk into the elevator, they see like the regular floor. And then what happens is piece by piece, when the elevator takes off, it starts dropping out. And you see like the bottom of, of an elevator. Some of y'all got scared just thinking. About it. And so these people are standing there, like, oh my goodness, because they think the floor is falling out from under them. They're just showing you how realistic this, you know, this 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 um this new computer screen is. Here's the point: the point is, you can't stand on your own. And some of us think that we're standing on our own, but I want you to realize something: that on a spiritual level and in all the practicalities of life, the fact is we all lean upon something. The question is. Does that something warrant our full trust and devotion? That's the question. As he says here, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Where do you get your own understanding from? You get it from people. Your your, your mom raised you up. Some of us, we have sayings that our mama said, it ain't nowhere near the Bible. I'm serious. I mean, I mean for real. you. you th- I'm not, I'm not going to say any right now, but the point is, you know that they're there. And then we equate them with Scripture. Here, I'll, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. I, this, 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 this. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Where is that in the Bible? That was like a manipulation to get kids to take a bath or something. I don't know. The point is, we have these sayings. We have these understandings. Another major place where we gain understanding is where? Through the culture, through the media, through, through, through popular people who are communicating. That is where we get our understanding. What does the Bible say? Lean not on your own understanding. Do you know what the Bible says about our heart? It says it is desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says. And what happens is, we want to lean on our own understanding. But the scripture says, it doesn't stop there. I love this. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says, in all your ways, say all your ways. ways. Acknowledge him. him. Now, I I want you to pause with me for a moment. Because I'm going to tell you how most people interpret this scripture. Okay? God, I have a plan. Bless it. I acknowledge you. I can't do it without you. I don't care how you would want it done. This is how I'm going to do it. Bless it. Be with me every step of the way. No matter if I'm sinning against you. No matter if I violate your word. No matter if my thoughts are contrary to yours. Bless it. That is not... What this scripture is saying. The word "acknowledge" there in the Hebrew is the word to know. So hear it like this. Know the Lord in all of your ways. Know him. How do you know him in all of your ways? How does that make sense? That's the reason why they put acknowledge. What they're saying is, or what the writer is saying here is, in everything that I do. I need to take into account, does this acknowledge him as God? Does this acknowledge him as the one who directs all of my steps? Because the next verse says that he will do what? And he shall direct your path. Hold on a second. If you are just telling him about what you're doing, is he directing or are you directing? See, that's the issue. We misapply the scriptures. It's not enough, church. Listen, we need to dig in to the Bible. We need to dig in to the scriptures. We need to cry out to God for his wisdom and his direction so that way he can direct. Say, God, this is a decision I have to make. This is how you acknowledge Him in all of your ways. This is something that I have to do, and I don't want to violate your character. I don't want to dishonor you. I don't want to go against your word, and so lead me according to the Scriptures. That's how you acknowledge Him. Not depending on your own understanding. Not depending on your own, or oh, I felt peace. I don't care what you felt. It doesn't matter. We all feel peace when we are going to get our way. Hello. See, yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all need to laugh a little bit because you know it's true. Who feels bad about getting their way? No one. No, listen. I'm going to tell you something. I love Jesus with all my heart. I love my wife with all of my heart. You know what is something that happens? I'll, t- I'll tell you right now. There, there are times that I that I have that I'll make a decision, right? And and I make this decision having thought about the six reasons why I shouldn't, and I was able to justify three. But there were still three that I really couldn't get past. I was hoping that when I came and told her about the decision that I made, that she would be like, yeah, babe, just go ahead. But you know what she did? She brought up reason one, two, three, four, five, and six. Don't get it twisted. She brought them all up because they're not a justification for her. Now, let me tell you something. The honest truth is, if I came to my wife and she never said anything about one, two, three, four, five, and six, I'd be like, yes, I got my way. I don't have to worry. See, y'all ain't saying nothing. listen. This is how we are. I would feel great be like, wow, she's, she's, in, she's agreeing with me. And some, some cats would be like, wow, she has faith like I do. Because, you know, right away when, when, when someone comes against you, oh, but you don't have faith. That's what it is. You don't have faith. You don't trust God. Yeah, I do trust God, but I'm also endowed with wisdom. Hello. I also have some correct understanding of stuff, and, and I trust God all day long, but... Why would I trust God contrary to sound wisdom? Mm Hmm. Here's the thing. Our God has proven himself time and time again as faithful, loving, (laughs) merciful, sovereign, all-powerful. Ultimately, that he is the one whose plans always come to pass. This is what he's proven himself. Read your Bible. Look at the histories of the world. His purposes are the ones that ultimately prevail. Amen? Amen. Let me say this. Our unwillingness to place our trust in Him only proves our foolishness in thinking that we can outsmart or outdo the Creator and Sovereign of the universe. That's all it proves. It only shows how foolish we are. That is all that it does. Because His plan is going to prevail. His purposes are going to come to pass. Whether you are kicking, screaming, biting, clawing and holding on. His plans are going to come to pass. I don't know about you, but I would rather just walk in there with some grace. Amen? Amen. Let's just walk this out. Let me enjoy the ride. Because nobody wants to be dragged, you know, through the mud and all that kind of stuff. But God wants to get you somewhere. Second thing. Say this with me. We must practically demonstrate, demonstrate. Where, our where our trust is look at chapter look at verse 9 here it says this it says honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine hold your place there and turn to Proverbs 18 we just have one verse on this point and I want you to see this one as well Proverbs chapter 18 verse 10 and 11 Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 through 11, it says this. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Verse 11 says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. So once, so, so the scripture says, the name of the Lord is this strong tower. The name of the Lord is the place where we are supposed to find safety. Amen. The name of the Lord is the place where we are supposed to have our security. But then he goes on and said, the rich man's wealth, that's where his security is. And this verse here in, in chapter 3, turning back there to verse, to verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. Some versions of your Bible will say, Honor the Lord with your wealth. He's talking about finances. When you look it up in the Greek, he's talking about those things that you have accumulated. He's saying, honor the Lord with that. What does that have to do with trusting the Lord? That's a practical way in which we demonstrate that we trust him. The reason why this is so important is because when you look at the New Testament, you will find that Jesus used analogies concerning money more than anything else. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he did that? Why was it that Jesus brought up money? And when I say money more than anything else, I don't mean like collectively. Like if you take every time Jesus spoke about money and then you look at everything else he talked about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about specifically. If you look at money and you look at farming, you look at these different things. He spoke about money more than anything else as examples. Why was that? Even when these centurions and stuff like that came to John the Baptist and they were like, "What what must we do? He talked to them about selling stuff. He talked to them about their money. Why is that? It is because money is such a great idol in the hearts of people. Why do you think it's so hard sometimes in church for people to talk about money? It's because people get rigid, they get tight. Oh, you're getting into my pocket. Listen, this is a a heart issue. I don't have any issue with someone talking to me about money when it has to do with the glory of God and it has to do with scriptures. Period. Not at all. But some of us do. You know why? Because we hold tight to that stuff. Because our trust is in those things. See, there's one thing that you have to realize when you think about the stories. You, I mean, when you think about when Jesus was calling people to repentance, one of the stories that stands out most to me is the rich young ruler. You remember that story? He comes to Jesus, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And he's like, man, you know, you got to keep the commandments. like, I've done all that. I'm good. Jesus is like, you lack one thing. What's that? Sell everything. Then come follow me. What does the Bible say about him? At his head down, depressed. Like, man, I can't keep my money and walk with you. I'm just saying. I mean, I've been saving up for a while, been working hard, investing, doing my thing. I can't keep that. Is that what Jesus says to everyone? That you have to lay down your money in order to follow me? Is that what he says? No, but he speaks to those idols in our hearts. And that was the issue. And for many of us, and, and you know what? You, let me say this you don't have to have a lot of money for it to be an idol. So that's what we think. Like, you got to be rich. Like, well, I don't have any idols because I ain't got no money. That doesn't mean it's not an idol. That does not mean it is not an idol. It does not mean you don't worship it. It just means you don't have a lot of it. It just means that your idol is not doing you well. Hello. That's all it means. (laughs) But the fact is, when we look at money, I I want you to get this. The way that we deal with money is one of the greatest revelations of our heart and our devotion to jesus let me say this money can be used for a couple of things and here and we talk about worship in a specific way money should be used to worship not as the object of worship and the problem is that with many of us we use money as an object of worship instead of using it to worship god by honoring him with it and when we trust in our money more than the lord it is clear who we worship but see, the beauty of the book of Proverbs is that it doesn't stop with money here. And we're going to look at these together. He says this. He says, honor the Lord with your possessions. In other words, this, th- th- there is two things that are being communicated here. One of them is how you deal with money on a personal level. The other one is how you deal with giving. You see this here, right? Look at what it says. Honor the Lord with your possessions. How you deal with money. How do you deal with it? You know, we talked about not leaning on our own understanding. You know, it's funny because I was talking to someone the other day, and, and, and we were talking about, you know, missions, trips, and all this kind of stuff. And I wonder how many of us as Christians, when we're planning out our year or whatever, and some of you don't even do that. You know, some of us, they, at least we think about vacations. I know my wife, she's always thinking about vacations. She loves vacations. We come off one vacation, and she's back in the room. She's like, I'm thinking about another one. Glory to God. Can't afford all that stuff. But anyway, it's good to think about a dream, whatever, you know, put yourself in a happy place. But here's the thing. I wonder, when we're thinking about our vacations, do we we, we really pray about our vacation time? Like what I'm going to do, or do I just say, I deserve this because I worked. I earned this time, so I deserve this vacation. Have you ever considered, God, do you want me to do something missional with the money that I would spend on the vacation during my vacation time with me getting involved with something? Do we ever think about that? Nope. Because we work hard. I deserve it. I don't even need to think about that. God says I need to rest. (laughs) Got that scripture right here. Okay. Let me take you through through some more scriptures. I'm just saying it would be amazing to me to see Christians posting all over Facebook how they were involved in mission work on their vacation. Oh, but that's not a vacation, Bishop. Listen, you're going to have plenty of vacation in heaven. See, I got three amens. Y'all don't like that. I don't care. It don't matter. It does not matter what you like. And it, it is because I'm the one preaching. It's because it's the truth. It is the truth. Do we, what I'm asking, you? I'm not telling you that you have to take every vacation that you accrue and you have to say, well, I'm going to go on mission trip. I'm not telling you that. That's not what I'm saying. So don't hear that. What I'm asking you is, do you at least involve God in those decisions? Do you at least cry out to God and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life this year? What do you want me to do with my vacation time this year? What do you want me to do with the finance that I'm saying? What do you, we don't ask God those questions. You want to know why? Because here's what happens. We'll sit down for some of us, not all of us, but some of us, will sit down if we at least do this, you know, because some of us don't even budget. I was talking to, I was talking to, a, to a couple the other day. Um, at the Veterans Day Parade and we were having a conversation and um, she was talking about her inability to balance the budget and she was saying you know if there's a problem my bank will tell me wow. <laughs> that's what she said before she got married now her husband does the finances praise the Lord Jesus alright but here's the here, here, here's the thing my question is we sit down or what, what, what my point was is that we'll sit down we budget and you know what we do this is what we do this, this is what we do and then we feel good about this we do, we do the next thing. See, what, what does the next verse say? What, is, what does the next verse say? Come on. Or the next part of the verse. And with the first fruits of all your increase. Here's what we do. We put our tithe on the top of the list. That's my first fruits. That's my best. He gets it first. I've done my job. Let's get to stepping. That's how we feel. Because it's our money. Wrong. When, when, where does the Bible ever say it's your money? I, I, I didn't read that scripture I had to get delivered from that too Right, because I thought it was my money Because it said my name on my paycheck It was me working those hours It was me dealing with all Is my money, wait a second Who is the owner of everything? God is And so the question is well, I want to challenge you Are you seeking him about those things? I was blessed when I heard about Chastity She went to that, um, what, is, what is it called? Mission Interact and she took a whole week and, you know, during the summer and, you know, they, you know, they did fellowship stuff. They did some community work and stuff like that. I thought that was amazing. And I was like, man, I wish more Christians would engage in stuff like that. That more Christians would really consider their time, not their time, but God's time. Same thing goes with our money. But he says to honor the Lord with, with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with, with new wine. How many of y'all have some barns and vats? How many of y'all have barns and vats, right? You don't don't have them like that. You have a pantry, right? All right, that's like a barn. And, you know, to some some degree, right? A refrigerator, right? I mean, those those things, right? Those those places. What he's saying is the place where they kept the wheat, the place where they kept the food, the animal, all that kind of stuff was going to be good. The wine. He was talking about being fruitful. When you trust in the Lord and and the way you trust him is by honoring him. But he doesn't finish there. He doesn't finish there on the ways that we practically demonstrate our trust for the Lord. I know some of you are tired of me talking about money, so we'll move to the next subject. But here it is. How about forgiveness? Say forgiveness. Forgiveness. Let's turn to some more scriptures here. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. Let's look at what it says here. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. It says this. It says, do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord. He will save you. Look at chapter 24. Turn over to chapter 24. Look at verse 28 through 29. Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause. For would you deceive with your lips? Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his works. Listen, that's how we act sometimes. Oh, that's how they treat me. That's how I'm going to treat them. Oh, Bishop, I'm, gonna, I'm not giving a false witness against them. Listen, I'm not talking about the first part. I'm talking about the second part. You do unto them like they do. You remember Remember, I was talking one time about my daughter and how we were talking about that, the golden rule. Remember a long, long time ago? And I was like, do unto others you would have done unto you? And she was like, well, yeah, well, that's what they did to you, so that's how you should do to them because that's what they wanted. Right? I thought that was an amazing interpretation, and we had a discussion about it, and we figured it out that that wasn't correct, but I thought that was a good application, pretty witty, right? But here's the thing. The thing is, in forgiveness, who are you holding bitterness towards? Who are you avoiding? Who will you not call? Who do you have problems praying for? Let's get deep on that, right? I mean, really. Really? Who is it that you haven't told no one about that you have an issue with, but you have an issue with them? Who is it? Because if you can't forgive them, all you're doing is showing that you don't trust God. In that area of forgiveness. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 25. It says this, it says, It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy, and afterwards to consider his vows. How about this? And forgiveness is one other practical way. Another practical way is in us keeping our word, in us keeping our commitments. How about in that area? When we're keeping our commitments, we're demonstrating we trust, we honor God. That's what we're doing. In this particular portion of scripture, he's talking about someone saying, This is holy. We can, you can apply this to, you know, saying, yep, I've met the right one. We're married, and yeah, this is a good thing. And now 5, 10, 15, however many years later, nah, man, that wasn't the right one. It's a snare. Listen, when I was a youth pastor, I had some amazingly spiritual young people. And I had some of them that they would be like, oh, the Lord spoke to me. She's the one. I'm like, really? And, and a little while later, oh, you know, the Lord spoke to me. She's the one. I'm like, listen, time out. Time out, bro. She is the one for someone, not you. All right, let's just forget that for a moment. The point is, it's a snare. How do you you keep your word? How do you keep your commitments? Proverbs 21, you're right there already. Look at verse 3. It says this, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. How about doing what is right? How about just simply in that? Doing what's right because it's right. Not because they deserve it. Just doing what is right. That is what we show on a practical level. I trust him. How about Proverbs chapter 25? I love this scripture here in verse 21 through 22. It says this. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? So let me ask you this. How do you treat your enemies? How do you treat your enemies? We're supposed to, right? Treat them with love. But the question is, how do you treat them? Not how we're supposed to treat them. How do you treat them? How do you treat those who talk bad about you? How do you treat those who treat you wrong? How do you treat those who you, I mean, in in all truth, they don't deserve anything good from you. How do you treat them? If you treat them wrongly, you're demonstrating a lack of trust in the Lord. And here's what I say to close that point. If our lives do not practically demonstrate trust in the Lord by obedience to his directives, we must humbly repent and ask the Lord for the grace to trust him wholeheartedly. So if you have issues trusting God with your money because you count money more than you count on him, listen, ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to give you grace. If you have issues forgiving people, repent. Come to God and say, "This is this is my sin. I'm resenting. I'm holding things against someone." Repent of that sin. Ask him for the grace in order for the, in order for you to live out the way that you're supposed to. You have issues keeping your commitments especially to the Lord. What do you do? Repent. Acknowledge those things. Turn away from that way of being. Ask him for grace. When you have issues, doing what's right because you justified in whatever way. Ask him for forgiveness. Turn from those things. The last point that we'll make, say this with me. We must remember, we are not trusting principles, but a person. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 3 and we'll close with this verse. Or these verses, should I say. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. He says this, he says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Here's the thing. It is easy to trust the Lord when everything is going well. It is easy to trust Him when everything is good. But what happens when we are, to the best of our ability, depending on God's grace, living out the principles of wisdom, and we're not seeing the fruit of our labor? What happens then? What happens when I'm giving like I should, when I'm budgeting the way that I should? What happens when I'm treating my spouse the way I should? I'm treating my parents the way I should, treating my my children the way I should. What happens when I'm doing all of these things the way that I'm supposed to, the way that I'm hearing them, and I'm not seeing everything come out the way I want it to? What happens then? How do I respond to that? What happens when when I'm in a situation, and, and, and let me tell you something, many people want to claim like they're in a situation like Job, I have yet to meet someone that is as righteous as Job. Seriously, don't be, don't, don't be pulling the Job card (laughs) because very few of us are doing what Job was doing. You remember what Job was doing? He was, he he was making sacrifices for his family just in case they sinned against God. Job was righteous, not according to my standards, according to God's standards. He was righteous. He had some issues though, right? As you, as you move on in the book and you start to see him complaining, you see that he has some pride issues that are rising up and things like that. He also has some fear issues. The thing that I feared has come upon me. And so there was some issues that were there. And why did God allow him to go through that? Because he wanted to bring those things to the surface and he wanted to deal with Job. That's what it was. He wanted to deal with him. Most of us can't say that we're like that. But you know what? Many of us, because of the grace of Jesus, we can claim that we have a righteousness that's not our own. Amen? We have a righteousness because of what Jesus has done. And so now we come to God and we're trying to serve Him to the best that we can. We confess our sin and we do wrong. We're trying to live this thing out. And you know what? What happens with sin, it's not that God won't forgive you, but you know what sin does? Sin messes up other things in your life. Hear me. It's not that God says, well, you know what? You sinned. I don't ever want to talk to you again. That's not how God treats us. But what God will allow us to do is He will allow us to experience the fractures in relationship because of sin. He will allow us to experience some hardships because of our sin, because we rebel against him. And in some situations, he comes in and he's like, listen, I'm just going to deal with that. and you going to experience any of it. And let me tell you something. I'm going to be honest and I'll confess to you this. I would much rather be on the side where I experience some hardship than on the side that I don't. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when I'm on the side that I don't experience hardship because of my sin, you know what begins to happen? I get comfortable in it. I start to take grace for granted. I start to live a cheap grace rather than live out the gospel the way that God has called me to live it out. And so, what, we, what, what happens when we're in those moments? I want to say this. It is here when we're going through the trials and the test of our faith that our faith is tested the greatest, but also the greatest testament to our faith is manifested. See, when I'm going through these hardships, these difficulties, when I'm being tried in my life, when God is dealing with me as a son, not a fatherless child, when he's dealing with me like that, and the situations are hard and difficult, that's when my trust is tested. But that is also when my trust is manifested. It is also in that place where I come to the, where I, where I come to the understanding of who God really is. It is that place where I'm able to experience him in the fullness like he wants me to. Amen? The fact is this, the gospel saves us. It saves us from sin to our Savior. Each of us that is in this place, we should have, listen, we should understand this clearly. I say this every week, and if you've been here a few times, you know this. Every one of us in this place is a sinner by nature. And not just by nature, but you are a sinner by your actions as well. It's not not just that you were born into sin. You know, like, you know, some people want to say, well, I was born into sin, but I don't really sin. That's not true. That's not true. We all sin. Whether it is by our actions or by our inactions called omissions. Whether it is by the things that I do or the things that I choose not to do that I know that I should be doing. We all sin. Every one of us. And we all have to come to the place where we do what? Where we, where we make a decision. I'm going to trust Jesus with my sin to save me from my sin. The beauty of this is that God does not call us To walk away from sin to nothing. He calls us to walk away from sin to the Savior. He calls us to walk away from unrighteousness to experience a righteousness that is beyond ourselves. But we have to come to that place that we understand, I can't save myself. I can't do enough good works to outdo the bad works. And for some of you, like for me, like there's a whole list of bad works. I could never outdo those bad works. Others of you, you can only think of like three things that are bad. So you figure, well, man, you know, maybe if I do like 18 good things, maybe that'll outdo those three bad. No, it does not work like that. Every person who does not put their faith in Jesus will experience eternal separation from God the Father, period. That's bad news. That is horrible. The good news is Jesus died in your place. The good news is Jesus offers you the opportunity to do what the title of this message is, which is what? Lean on him. To trust in him fully. If you've not done so, to put your whole trust in him. Not part of it. He can take care of every area, every part of your life. But the most important area that he wants to deal with is your heart. The most important area that he wants to deal with is you as a person, not just situations that affect you, not just circumstances around you. He wants to deal with you as a person. He wants to save you eternally. And once he saves you to himself, the way that that happens is by you acknowledging that I can't save myself. By you acknowledging I need him to save me. And by you doing what we say, put your faith in him. What does that mean? That means trust him. That means trust him and turn away from your sin. That's the beauty of it. So what does he do? Through the gospel, he saves us from our sin to our Savior. But he doesn't stop there. He sanctifies us from our fleshly works to fruitful works. He sanctifies us to where we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for his glory. We no longer live for our desires, we live for his desires. We no longer live for our ways, we live for His ways to bring Him glory. And you know what, here's the thing, sanctification is painful. Say it's painful. Sanctification hurts. Why? Because it's you dying. Nobody wants to die. Listen, you give a person an an, an option between living and dying in any situation, they're going to choose life no matter what. Probably the only place that that would be different is if it was, like, between me and my spouse or me and my daughter dying, then I would choose death for me, but I would choose life for someone else. But if it's just about me, like, listen, man, you know, we can can cut your leg off and you can live, or we can keep your leg on there, you know, it's got gangrene and all that kind of stuff, and what am I going to choose? Cut the leg off, man. I want to live. I'm going to be limping. I mean, you know, it's going to be crazy for the rest of my life, but it's going to be the rest of my life. It's not going to be the end of my life. You know, someone puts a gun in your face like, dude, take my money, take my clothes. What do you want? Just let me live. Right? That's, that's, that's how we are. Nobody wants to die. Period. Period. And so sanctification is through the process. It's a painful process. And through this purging is what the Scriptures is talking about. Hardships allow us to see what we are lacking. I love this. While allowing the world to see who we are serving. Hardships allow us to see what we are lacking while they allow the world to see who we are serving. It is only when we forget our depravity that we will begin, and when I say depravity, I mean our sinfulness, our wretchedness, our wickedness. It is only when we forget our own depravity that we will begin to put our trust in ourselves rather than in our loving Savior. Remember the exercise we did? We all stood up, tried to lean on ourselves. None of us could do it. It's only because we forget, I can't do that. I need him in order to lean on. Closing here, turn to one more scripture with me, please. Proverbs 28 and verse 25. 28, 25, it says this. It says, He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. And so this scripture here is talking about, when it talks about a proud heart, it's talking about someone who is never satisfied. It's someone who always wants to have more of the things of this world. Never satisfied. And they cause strife because they're always striving after something because they have not put their trust in Jesus. The next verse, turn to 29. Well, you're right there. You should be 29, chapter 29 and verse 25. It says this. It says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And so we see this here. God offers us to be full and to be firm, yet our trust must be solely in who? Him. So the question for you today is who is it that you are leaning on? Stand to your feet, please. Who is it? Who are you leaning on? Where is your trust? Bow your heads, please, and close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think about that. First of all, I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to think about where is it that you are not putting your trust in the Lord? What area in your life are you not trusting him wholly